Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We're loving Him, knowing Him, and bringing others to know Him as well. Amen. I'm going to have Joe Fry come up if he would. Uh, you guys know Joe and Megan really well, and Jay, I'm going to give him this microphone. Uh, Joe is back now doing uh, mission stuff for us and, and um, doing a great job, kind of hit the ground running because he was so familiar with our ministries already. But we're trying to introduce you guys every Sunday uh, or reintroduce you to a missionary. Somebody's done some work in the field that is um, given up something for the sake of the gospel. We introduced you to Sarah two weeks ago, uh, excuse me, Jonathan Rebecca two weeks ago from India, Sarah last week who's in Central Asia. Uh, and, of course, you guys know uh, Joe and Megan, but I've asked Joe to come up this morning and share a little bit with us just about what happened while he was there. They were in Guatemala for about two years, uh, and I wanted him to kind of tell us a little bit about the need. You know, we see Guatemala, and, and most people think about Guatemala, and if you look at one of the maps that talks about lostness and Christianity, uh, they would say that Guatemala is reached for the most part, but we understand that's not really the case. There's a lot of unbelievers. So tell us the need. What's, what's going on in Guatemala? What's the real need down there that we could, should be aware of? Um, so, so Guatemala, uh, yes, I've, when, when you look at the map, uh, you know, on whatever website, it, it'll show that um, spiritually it's been reached with the gospel and that the gospel's been proclaimed there. And, and that is true. A lot of people have heard of Jesus. Um, however, uh, similar to the video that we just watched with IMB, a lot of people don't know who Jesus is really. Um, and so one of the major things is coming alongside the established church there, uh, working with... Uh, church leadership and helping them develop healthy church uh, and um, also help them uh, be teaching healthy church. Uh, so that was a big part of what we did was doing training uh, with uh, the believers that were already there. And then finally uh, equipping them and mobilizing them to realize their uh, call and their role in the Great Commission as well because uh, when you profess Jesus as your Savior, you automatically have received the Great Commission. And so it's mobilizing them to go out and realize that, just uh, like the video we just saw, that they go to Guatemala or even now uh, the convention after years of of American churches coming is uh, actually sending out uh, their first missionary as a whole entire national convention. They're going to send a missionary out as well. So those are the kind of things that we want to be trying to do. And one of the things you guys mobilized, they were in Santa Lucia, and some of you have been to Santa Lucia. One of the things you guys helped mobilize in the local church in Santa Lucia was a church plant in the city, but it was a little bit of a different church plant, not the sort of church plant we would necessarily think of. Tell us kind of where that church plant was and what that was like. Uh, so, so last year when we, we came home for a little bit of time uh, around the holidays, um, my wife and I, we, we were talking, we we're like, well, you know, what do you think God would have us do with our ministry? We've made relationships. We really feel like we're understanding what's going on now. You know what do you what do we think the next step is and and we after prayer we felt led uh, to do the church plant and uh, there is an area in our community that um, uh, was a community right by the dump so these people just like you can imagine uh, lived next to the city uh, landfill lived off the city landfill by collecting usable things out of the dump uh, the school schedule was based around when the dump trucks came so the kids could participate in those those types of activities. Um, so our church uh, had a few members actually lived in that community, but there was really no healthy, uh, active church there. So we just felt like, you know, that is where we need to go. We have people that know the community that can help us 
um, get involved and plugged in the community. And uh, they, just like um, everybody, needs Jesus, so we, we should go. Uh, so we started doing evangelism with our church. Uh, we had, uh, through trainings, uh, practiced and helped equip uh, them with evangelism uh, strategies and just how to share their testimonies. Uh, Rosemont came down and put a clinic on and helped us put a clinic on. Through that, we found people to start a Bible study with, and now there's a church plant there. Um, through months of uh, months of dedication, but uh, there's a church plant there right now that meet every Friday night. Yeah, and just to be clear, we use the word dump, and we think about you know a green trash thing out here that we take our. We're talking about a city landfill, massive. I mean, not a small little area. People that live there, church was planted there. Uh, pretty incredible the work done there. Tell us why it's important for us to continue to send teams to Guatemala. Uh, the use of teams um, when we when a missionary or, or a local church has a has a vision to do something, uh, a lot of times uh, it's just a vision and they can't ever you know quite especially in an area like Guatemala really fully be able to realize that activity. Uh, a short term trip uh, can come alongside that church in particular in Guatemala and help them realize that that vision that dream or that. Um, that idea that God's put on their heart, uh, that way they can go out and, and try to make that become a reality. Uh, and I would say, secondly, in our experience, all the missionaries we've met over the last couple of years, which are dozens, I mean, probably a hundred different missionaries we can think of now that are all around the world, uh, their journeys, their callings started on short-term trips. That I, To be honest, I've never met one that just woke up and said, I want to go to Central Asia, I want to go to China. Uh, it started with a, a short-term trip, whether it was domestic, uh, you know, to the Appalachians or wherever, Kentucky, or overseas to Guatemala. So short-term trips usually open up and start allowing God to work in that person's heart as well. So on a personal basis, when we went on our first uh, short-term trip, it was through Rosemont, and that's when God started working on our hearts to go. Yeah, and so that's a scary thing for people because you, you realize God may call you to do something even more when you go on a short-term trip, you know. But it's an opportunity you should take advantage of, you know. It's an opportunity you should take advantage of to hear what the Lord's doing and, and how he's calling. So we're going to do, uh, right after the 11 o'clock service in here, so about 12, 15 or so, uh, we'll do a Guatemala interest meeting for spring break. So anybody interested in Guatemala, Joe will be on that trip, of course. Anybody that's thinking about it and, and pondering it and maybe has some questions, you're not signing up, we're not buying plane tickets today, this is just an interest meeting for you to ask questions and learn a little bit more about that. Uh, we'd love to have you in here after the service. Let's thank Joe for all he's done and for all his work. Guatemala, thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Let me pray for us now, and we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity you've given us, Lord, just to, to gather together as a, as a body of believers and, and pray and, and sing and, and just hear from you, Father. I pray you just use this time, uh, Lord, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to challenge us, Lord, convict us if necessary. But may we leave differently than we came, Father. Help us just understand the importance of the, the significance of small steps of growth in our walk, Father, small little areas that change. And, and I hope that over the next little while this morning, Father, will be just a moment, an opportunity, a time where we can change a little bit more, Father. We can be transformed more and more, changed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you to bless our time together. 
uh, this morning. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, open to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. We are continuing our series today that we've entitled Incarnation, uh, taking us through Christmas, thinking about Christ in the flesh. And and I've preached uh, two different sermons so far about the Incarnation, about Jesus, about what that means to us as believers. And I I preached last week from Hebrews. And I I have to tell you, you know, sometimes uh, I'll preach a sermon and and I always pray the Lord speaks uh, to the congregation. And and very honestly, just being very, very transparent, sometimes I wonder. You know, I don't know how much the Lord speaks to you. I pray he speaks to you in powerful ways. But then there are those Sundays that I preach a sermon and like the Lord just speaks to me. (laughs) And he may or may not be speaking to you, but he's definitely speaking to me. And this passage in Hebrews this last week has just resonated in my brain. It's just bounced around. And so I'm going to read it again. I'm not going to re-preach Hebrews. Don't worry. Listen to the podcast if you didn't hear it. But it's it's powerful to me because in Hebrews chapter 1, he talks about the supremacy of Christ the glory of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord and all the things that Christ has done for us. And then verse, chapter 2, verse 1, and this is the one that's just kind of just hammered me this week. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. I, I think that's so true of the American church. I, I just feel like, I mean, in, in my soul, I feel like that's us right now. I feel like far too many believers are just not paying attention to what they've heard, and they're drifting away. And I, I, I just thought, you know, if we could, if we could just kind of take that to heart and, and understand that and be challenged by that and maybe begin to make changes in our heart and our mind uh, and really in our lives based on this truth, how, how different we could be. And so for me, it's been a, just a really good week of just really reflecting and thinking about that passage and honestly talking to my wife about that passage and talking to my kids and uh, you know, I was talking to Grace yesterday. We had a great conversation yesterday afternoon about a lot of different things, and that came up again, and we just talked about the importance of not drifting away. So I just encourage you to go back and, and, and read through that. We're going to continue our study this morning thinking about Christ and the significance of Christ and, and how sometimes we, we miss the importance of the incarnation and what Jesus did. I, I found a quote from John MacArthur, and it's a couple of paragraphs, but I want you to listen because he does a really good job in this quote of kind of nailing the issues that we have today with Christmas especially and how we've kind of gotten away from the importance of what Christmas means. Here's what he says. He says, at Christmas we're confronted again with the sometimes very difficult task of separating the reality of Christmas from the clutter that surrounds that reality. There's so much confusion that sometimes you feel like the real Christmas story is like a diamond lost in a haystack. It just seems impossible to find. Christmas has really become a hopeless muddle of confusion. He goes on to say, the humility and the poverty of the stable are somehow confused with the wealth and indulgence of selfishness and self-giving. The quietness of Bethlehem is mingled with the noise of shopping malls and freeway traffic. The soberness of the incarnation is somehow mixed with the drunkenness of this season. Blinking colored lights somehow have some connection to the star of Bethlehem. The room in the inn, this one really hit me, so obscure, so dirty, with such meager fare, somehow embraces the thought of a warm house, a fireplace, and opulent feasting. Cheap plastic toys for little kids with which to play out their follies are mixed with the true value of the gifts given by wise men. Salesmen somehow get mixed up with shepherds. Angels are confused with flying reindeer, one of which even has a red nose. 
I thought, man, he did a really good job there of, of, of speaking to me about some of the things that I consider important to Christmas compared to what we really know. Because if we're, if we're serious about Christmas and we're, we're serious about what we read in the, in the Bible and the Word, and, and I hope we are, then, then we understand we, we need sometimes to be reminded of what Christmas is really about. Like we need to remember that this is really just about a birth. It's about the idea of God living among us and what that meant to us and how that changed the world and how it still can change our individual lives. And so this morning, I want to take a look at Isaiah chapter 7, and I'm going to get in in just a few minutes a little bit more to the prophecy. I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, at this very moment because I want, to, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background on Isaiah. But, but I love uh, the story that Joe told about the dump, and I asked him specifically to tell that story. When we say a city dump, we mean a, we mean a city dump. It's large, it's vast. I've had the opportunity to be down there and to walk around and look. And really, as far as you can see, there's trash. And there are people that live there. Like, this is their house. And these are their kids. And I don't know if you heard him or picked up on what he said, but he said, the schedule of the dump trucks dictates when they do school. Did you hear him say that? It's just a different sort of a place, right? And, and it's not alone. I mean, millions and millions, and I'm not over-exaggerating, millions and millions of people around the world live in slums, dumps, just like this. It's very real in our world. And it's always fascinating to me that there are people like Joe and Megan and, and people within that church in Santa Lucia, like Luis. Some of you have met Luis and some of those precious people. And, 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 and missionaries, by the way, and, and workers and believers all over the world that are willing to walk into those places, like, I, I take my dump out to one of the, the landfill, the county landfill, and I get out of there as quick as I can because it's dirty and it stinks and I don't want to be around the flies and I don't like to be, so I just get out as quick. The fact that somebody would kind of rush into those places and, and willingly walk into those places is, is incredible to me, but it's a beautiful reminder of what Christ did. It's, it's, it's just like a perfect analogy. I mean, Jesus came out of the opulence and the beauty, and we talk about the, the warm fireplace that we love at Christmas, and that's kind of become our tradition, kind of juxtaposition, or juxtaposed against the idea of the, 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 the roughness of the, of the stable and the coldness and the damp. Jesus kind of came out of the, the beauty and the opulence of heaven, and he walked into a dump, a sinful, dirty, nasty dump. It's, it's a picture, and we think about what, what Joe and so many others like him have done and, and missionaries around the world and even short-term people that are willing to walk into these difficult places. It's just a reminder of Christ stepping down out of heaven, living among us, even in, among the filth. And, and man, it, it ought to just challenge us, like, what are we doing now? Like, what am I doing now? Am I just kind of locking myself in, in the beauty of what I have and I'm comfortable? Or am I willing to kind of step out of this comfort in order to reach people for the sake of the gospel? John 1.14, and we've read this so many times in the past, it just reminds me, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It wasn't just a vacation. It wasn't just a couple of quick days. He literally lived a life among us and gave his life for us. Isaiah 7 talks about that. Isaiah is one of my favorite Old Testament books because it's just filled with prophecy and it's, it speaks very clearly of Messiah and how he will one day come and give his life for our sins, written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. But in this particular context, Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz is a wicked king hasn't listened to the Lord. The Lord's trying to use him and, and trying to give him some advice. And, and the Bible says he won't really listen to him. He's not interested in the things of the Lord because he was a wicked king. And we're just going to look at one verse this morning, and you've heard it before. 
But just kind of right in the middle of Isaiah chapter 7, a a prophecy given to this king, this wicked king, about something that will one day come. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I think we have it on the screen for you. Very simply, we've heard it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here it is. The virgin, now we're looking ahead now. The king doesn't quite know what this is about. This is a general idea of the future. But the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now there's truth in here I want you to see. We're just going to spend some time in this one verse, walking through it, trying to understand it and apply it to our lives. But here's the first thing I want you to see, and then I want to walk through a little bit of this Old Testament stuff for you to see it. The long-awaited birth of Christ was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The the long-awaited birth of the Messiah didn't just happen one day. It wasn't an accident. It was a fulfillment of the prophecies found all through the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is interesting because it's written hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Many of you know this. Uh, When the Old Testament was finished, there was about 400 years of silence. Nothing was written until finally the Gospels came along, the birth of Christ. But the Old Testament is just filled with prophecies concerning Jesus. And you could spend a, a long time reading through the Old Testament and learning a lot about Jesus, never even turning to the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? Like if you kind of know what you're looking for and you've got this in mind and you're kind of studying through the Old Testament, you can learn a lot about Jesus just from the Old Testament. And he goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. And I've preached this before and many of you have heard this before, but when, when sin entered the world and God is speaking to the man and to the woman and to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, he gives him this verse and I'm gonna read it just to kind of make sure we remember what it says. Genesis 3.15, God speaking to the serpent. He's speaking to the devil This is Genesis 3 now. We're early, 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 early in Scripture. And here's what he says. I, this is the Lord, will put enmity, that's anger, between you, devil, and the woman, and between your offspring, devil, and hers. He, we don't know who he is, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Like we get this sense in Genesis 3 that sometime in the future, the seed of the woman, whoever that is, right? We're in Genesis 3, we don't know. The seed of the woman will do something to the devil. The devil's going to nip at his heel or bite at his heel. And then the seed of the woman one day will crush the head of the serpent. Right? This is thousands of years ago. This is well, well in the beginning of the Old Testament, well before Christ came and before we know anything about him, we already get this sense that one day the devil's going to be defeated by the seed of this woman. Interesting. And you rock on along to Exodus chapter 12, and, and we know the story of the Exodus and, and Moses and the people of Israel, and we know the story of the Passover, right? But we learn in the Passover that when they took the blood of the perfect lamb, they, they, they killed the lamb and they, they sprinkled the blood over the doorpost, they learned that the blood of the perfect sacrifice will save them. And they get this sense now, there's something going on with salvation. There's something going on that one day we will be saved through some sort of blood sacrifice. They still don't fully understand, right? We're hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. You go into Numbers chapter 21, and, and that's an interesting passage of Scripture. I preached on Numbers 21 many years ago, but, but Jesus talks about Numbers 21 in John 3. 
So you should go read John chapter 3. He's referring to Numbers chapter 21. He talks about being lifted up, and he talks about Moses. You may remember the story of the snakes that bite the people, and Moses takes the serpent, the, thing, the very thing that killed him, and put him up on the pole. And when they looked up upon the thing that had been lifted up, they were saved. Do you remember that story? It's, it's a picture of Messiah. We're, we're building this case in the Old Testament. And then you get into Isaiah and you get in the prophecies in Isaiah chapter 7 of the, of the birth of Christ. We're seeing, we're working through now the virgin birth. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7. You, you've heard this one, but listen to what this text says just a few chapters later. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. Right? We're, we're tying this together. This kid's going to be born. The seed of the woman going to do something to the serpent. The blood is going to save us. There's going to be some sort of a sacrifice. And, and salvation is going to come through this, through this son. And the government's going to be upon his shoulder. His name's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's amazing when you begin to think through and read through and study through. But here's the part that just always kind of boggles my mind. If you wanted to, to spend some time this afternoon, if you decided to do this, you could take your Bible and a good commentary or Google at this point really would do it for you. And you could spend a lot of time reading Old Testament prophecies about Christ. And in a few hours, if you were diligent, you could read most of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. In just a couple of hours, you could do that. Right? We, we've kind of been given this incredible gift of everything we need to know about Christ in one book. Right? The people of the Old Testament, it took them centuries to understand this. Like centuries to know this. People that lived in Genesis, they didn't know anything other than the seed of the woman who one day crushed the head of the serpent. That's all. And they died. People that lived in the Exodus. I mean, this, this, is, this is hundreds of years worth of process of the Exodus. The people lived in, in Egypt for 400 years. Then they walked in the wilderness for another 40. You're talking about generations. And these people didn't know. And we have this, this incredible gift of seeing and understanding the, the prophecies and, and, and kind of putting them together with the story of the New Testament and, and who Christ is. We see that God has kind of had this plan from eternity past. And we see now that even through how he works in our lives today, he's still faithful to us. He's still working in us. He still has a plan for us. Now, now here's what a lot of people do. We, we see this and we hear the Old Testament and we think about this. The, 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 pull, up, pull up the verse again, uh, verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, right? The Lord's going to give you this sign. Now, what Ahaz didn't know is this going to be hundreds of years before this actually happens, but a sign is coming from the Lord. And I think a lot of people wish, man, I wish the Lord would just give me a sign right now. Just give me this clear sign. I, I, I told you about having a conversation with my daughter, Gracie, and I won't tell this next service because she'll be in here and she'd kill me if I told her. But I'm going to tell y'all, y'all just can't act like you know about it, okay? She's not sure where she wants to go to school yet, and I understand that because I wasn't quite sure. She's not sure what she wants to do with her life, and, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure some days I know what I want to do with my life. I'm 45 years old, right? And we all struggle with this. It's a normal sort of thing for us to go through. But I'm having this conversation with her, and she really wants, she's praying diligently about this, and she's seeking godly counsel, and I'm very proud of the way she's going about doing this. But she wants to know 10 years down the road. She's like, I just wish God would tell me where to go to school and what major I'm supposed to have and you know, what I'm going to eventually do in life. And I, I try to explain to her, honey, listen, we all would like that. But that's not usually the way the Lord works. right? The, the Bible says it's a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it gives us just enough light to take the next step. Just enough light for the next couple of days. 
And if we're lucky, every now and then he'll give us a little bit of vision of a few months or maybe a year, but that's not typically the way it works. And so it, it builds trust within us, right, to see that God is still working. It allows us to be faithful to Christ day after day after day. But a lot of us want that sign. Just give me the answer, Lord. I, I would say to you, we, we're, we're very blessed with the sign that, that the Lord has given us is this. This is your sign. You want to understand God's will for your life? Here it is. You just start here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit working and helping you understand, through, through your prayer life, which is very important, through seeking godly counsel, right? We, we've been given a sign as well. We've been given the gift. We, we live in a time where we have the entire canon of Scripture right here. All the Old Testament prophecies, all the life of Christ, all the New Testament looking ahead to the end times, we have it all here. The people of the Old Testament didn't. God says, listen, I've still got a plan. I'm still at work. I'm still giving you a sign. Use it. Therefore, you're going to receive a sign. Now, let's continue. Look at what it says again. It's not just any sign. It's not like he's just holding up a sign in his yard, right? Therefore, the Lord's going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And again, we're, we're making a connection here between the seed of the woman, right, the offspring. She's going to give birth to a son. We're kind of understanding this a little bit better. Here's the second thing I want you to see, very important, truth number two. The virgin birth showed the humanity of Christ. Right? The virgin birth showed the humanity of Christ. If, if the long-awaited birth, the fact that we waited, showed the prophecy the virgin birth of Christ showed his humanity. Now, one of the things we talk about with Jesus is the idea of fully God, fully man, the, the hypostatic union. It's kind of a, a, a fancy seminary word. And all it really means is he's fully God and he's fully man. He's not 50% God, 50% man. He's not 85%, 15 whatever the math you want to do. It's 100%. And both you say, I don't, I don't fully understand that. We don't understand that. We're humans. Our minds are limited. But what we're taught in Scripture is that Jesus is both. Now, here's why the virgin birth is important. The virgin birth is important because it points to the truth that Jesus was born as a human like every other person. You understand that? It's not that, that God brought Jesus down and just kind of dropped him here uh, from heaven. Uh, it wasn't like he came in the clouds like he will one day again. It wasn't like he was ushered in with great excitement or fanfare. He, he was born in this simple, dirty place to this young girl that nobody knew that, oh, by the way, at that time was shunned because she was a virgin not yet married. Right? God did that to demonstrate, listen, Jesus is born and is human just like you, just like me. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, one of my favorite verses, talking about the, the timing of Christ and the prophecy being fulfilled. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, we, we live in a world, I don't, I don't want to miss the opportunity here to kind of think through just for a second with you this idea of virgin birth, because we live in a world now where a lot of people would deny that. They make fun of it, they laugh at it, they, they mock believers. You know, and, and by the way, Christianity is becoming more and more marginalized. We're getting set aside more and more. And it doesn't take long if you kind of pay attention to the, to the media or to some of the people that are in the know. They talk about Christianity as if it's a joke. And one of the things they laugh about is the virgin birth. But I want to I give you kind of three reasons why this is a big deal, why we should hold to the truth of the virgin birth. Truth number one, ought to really just solidify it for you, but just so you're clear, number one, we ought to believe it because the Bible says it's true. 
Like, it's kind of simple. I remember when I was a kid that this guy, a church, and my church had a bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then I had another guy say, well, that bumper sticker is really wrong. I'm like, what? You, what? It really should say, God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. And he's probably right, but the point is, listen, it's in God's word, it's true. Like, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we've got to understand this to be absolute truth. We believe this in faith, right? The Bible says it's true. We need to believe it. The second thing we need to understand about the virgin birth and why it's important is because it points to the unique nature of Christ's birth, right? His birth was like any, unlike any other ever in history. It's very different. It's very unique, right? Very unique in what it does. And, and the third thing, and this is part of the uniqueness of the birth of Christ, we, we cling to this because it shows, again, that God had a plan for our salvation in Christ. Now, here's what I mean by that. Right, in order for us to be forgiven of our sins, in order for, for somebody to take the place of our sins, right? we learn in the Old Testament, and if you were to read through, you understand about the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice necessary for the remission of sins. Right, we understand something's got to give up, something's got to be killed for the forgiveness of sins. We see that all through Scripture. Blood has to be sacrificed. Well, in order for our sins to be taken, we needed a, another human being to die to take our sins, right? We needed a human being to do that. The problem is nobody's righteous. No, not one. That's what the scripture says. None of us are able to do that because we're sinful. None of us are a perfect sacrifice. So when Jesus came fully God, yet fully man, and lived a perfect life, lived a sinless life, he died on the cross as a human being. He gave his life for us. He stood in our place as that perfect sacrifice. But see, here's something we see as we kind of finish this verse up. We need to wind this down this morning. We see something just kind of incredible. The first kind of two ideas in that verse are powerful. They're important. But look at verse 14 again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, right? The Old Testament prophecy fulfilled. We get that. The virgin will conceive and give birth, right? Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. That was important for him to be our sacrifice. Uh, give birth to a son. And the last part of the verse is just kind of eye-opening. And you will call him Emmanuel. Truth three, the miraculous birth of Christ shows his divinity. Fully human, born of a virgin, born of a woman, yet fully God. Emmanuel means very simply God with us. One of my favorite passages of scripture to compare if you think about the divinity of Christ. And you know, we've got just a couple of minutes. If you want to flip back, just do, let's, go, let's go. Go to Exodus 3 real quick. Go to Exodus 3 because I want you to see this. And we're running low, but I want to give you just a real picture. This is important. Exodus 3, verse 13. Moses is at the burning bush, right? God is speaking to Moses, and he says to him, listen, I won't basically, says to Moses, go tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses is kind of, you know, backing up. He's arguing with the Lord. He's, he's unsure of exactly what he wants to do and how it's going to happen. And he says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses says to God, he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What am I supposed to say, right? So Moses says, listen, if I go to Pharaoh and I say, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, well, what's the name of the person that sent you? Moses says, what am I supposed to say? Listen to the response. God said to Moses, Exodus three fourteen, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you, Right? Now, we know that story. We're familiar with that, but let's make this connection. Flip over to John chapter 8 now. Go back other end of the Bible, John chapter 8. 
Verse 58. Jesus now has gone into the temple. He's reading to these people. He's explaining who he is, right? And we're going to tie this to the divinity right here, the birth of Christ. The, the shows the divinity of Christ in, in the way it was miraculous. He's now going to talk to the people. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching the people. He's in, we're in John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? <laughs> you see what he's doing there? He's like, listen, you Jewish people, you know the story. You know, I mean, these people knew the history of Moses. They knew the history of the people of Israel. They knew the history of the burning bush. They had memorized the things the Lord had said to Moses. They had memorized all the things that Moses had said to the Pharaoh. This is important to them. This is their history, right? This is their exodus. And so when Jesus stands before them and says to you, before Abraham was, I am, what's he doing? He's claiming divinity. He's like, listen, the same God that was speaking to Moses at the burning bush is me. The same God that took the people out of captivity in Egypt is me. Now, just, just, want, just to kind of prove this, don't look, and some of you already know the story. What would you expect the Jewish people to do if Jesus claimed divinity? Be happy or sad? Pretty mad at him, right? Look at verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, sleep, slipping away from the temple grounds. Right? They understood he's claiming to be God. They picked up rocks to kill him, and he slipped away from them. It's a a fascinating story. It's a a beautiful picture and and a reminder of the divinity of Christ, but it's it's more than that. And I've got to finish with this. It's more than that. There's so much more we could say here. But I'm just reminded kind of all the way back to to Isaiah chapter 7, and and King Ahaz, a wicked king in a, a bad situation. He turned from the Lord. It's kind of a dark moment for the people of Israel kind of a dark, bleak situation, and they needed the hope in Christ, and they needed the prophecy to know that one day Jesus would come and would save them in their sins. And I would say to you, much like the people of Israel struggled, and much like they were in a bleak time and went through kind of difficult moments in their history, I would argue that we're the same way. Like, we go through difficult moments, don't we? We struggle and need hope. Sometimes we, we need to be reminded of the majesty and, and the beauty of Christ. And, and so I want to conclude with something. I'm going to read a, a quote from Charles Wesley. Uh, Hark the herald angels sing. We, we, we sing the song. In fact, sing some of it this morning. Just listen to the words. Such a beautiful picture, a reminder of, of who Christ is and, and what he gave. Written by Charles Wesley, 1739. Hark the herald angels sing. Sometimes when we sing it, we forget to listen to the words. But sometimes when we say it without the music, we can pay attention better. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Listen to the next verse. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ by heaven, highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You know, Jesus didn't come to be relegated to some corner of your house, 
to some corner of your schedule, to just a few minutes when you can give it to him. He came to be your Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The question is, what are you going to do with that this morning and this week and really for the rest of your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of Isaiah, for the fulfilled prophecies, Father, we see in in chapter 7 and chapter 9 and chapter 53 and so many others, Father. Thank you for the reminder of salvation through Christ at Christmas, Father. Thank you that his birth shows us prophecy and how he was fully God and and fully man. And Father, I just pray that we would live our lives according to the scripture, live our our lives with a desire to to tell people and, and to share that, Father. Just use us. Just use us, Father, to, to do great things. Don't, don't allow us just to kind of set you aside and, and set the birth of Christ aside and get so busy with so many other things that we forget the primary calling in our lives is to glorify you, Lord. Just use us this Christmas season. Do great things through us. And we'll praise your name for all that you do, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. Altar is open, an opportunity for you to come and sing or pray or respond. It's your chances we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.